Welcome to the 19th episode of The Brief. I'm your guest host, Mazen Nahawi, MEPRA Executive Board Member and CEO of Carmen Socialize. Today I'll be joined by Sunil John, BCW Middle East President and Founder of Azda BCW. I'll also be joined by Don Bartkus, PSB Director for the MENA Region. Today we'll be talking about the 12th Annual Azda BCW Arab Youth Survey, which provides insights into the hopes, aspirations and attitudes of Arab youth and how they can provide the public and private sector organizations with data and analysis to make informed decisions and policies. Gentlemen, welcome to you both. Thank you, Mazin. And thank you for this opportunity that you've given Dom and and me. Thank you. So Sunil, why don't we begin by asking about some background about the survey. Uh, It's in its 12th year. Uh, It's a survey which is keenly looked forward to by many professionals in the PR industry, but also at the highest level of government, not only in the region, but worldwide. Perhaps you can tell our our listeners a bit more about the background of how the survey came into being and how you conduct it every year. Yeah, I think this is an interesting uh, uh, origin of the the survey. Uh, It's way back in 2006, 2007, when I would attend a number of these World Economic Forum panel discussions in the Dead Sea or in Davos. And there would be a panel that would discuss about the issues of the Middle East. And the Arab youth issues would always come to the fore and they would say, oh, the region has to create 100 million jobs. And, uh, but that's where it would stop in terms of the, there was no data for these panel speakers to talk about what is the most defining aspect of the Middle East and the Arab world, and that is its young demographic. And in those meetings, uh, I would sit through those panel discussions, and the germ of the idea suddenly came that, you know, if we were to do a survey among among the young demographic, and that's like 60% of the population of the region, as you know, Mazen, is below the age of 30, you're looking at about 200 million Arab youth. And if you really have any stake in this region, you need to know what this young population really, how they look at their their future, their their present, as well as uh, how they look at issues. And, you know, so that's the really the inspiration that got us to do the survey way back. The first survey was in 2008. And, And we said the region is data poor, especially on the young demographic. And we wanted this survey to be able to fill this gap. So, you know, as, as we call it, it's our thought leadership survey. And as a, as a public relations consultancy, we thought if we are able to do this, uh, uh, you know, and bring some value to the community in which we work, I think we'll be seen as a value added partner for our clients and for the community in general. And that's how it worked, you know, uh, to be able to bring that, uh, that, that the unique insights of these young people. But there are a couple of things we did as we grew this over the last 12 years. First, we always decided that you know survey uh, surveys are sometimes seen with colored eyes, depending on who is actually doing it. And we said, we will fund this survey entirely from our own resources in the sense that we didn't look at partnerships or sponsorships because we wanted to protect the survey's independence and its credibility. And that's what actually held us in good stead all these 12 years. Uh, and then the third thing that we said is we're going to do this survey and we're going to actually put all the findings on a public domain, which is called the Arabutesurvey.com. And that 
the findings are available to governments, to the private sector, to civil society across the world so that they could use this critical information and analysis so that they could make better decision-making, better policy formations. And I can tell you, Mazen, that ever since we did this, uh, uh, more and more of, of uh, people, media, the government leaders have started using this data and, and that has given us, uh, give, given them a better understanding of what this region is all about. I think the survey has played that role and there's a number of things we have done uh, to be able to make sure that we bring a fresh insights, uh, bring uh, relevant information. Of course, the heart of that survey is the tracking data that we bring over the 12 years, but every time we bring new subjects in. And of course, uh, our sister company, PSB, the BCW group company that conducts the research do this in a very, very thorough manner because the focus is uh, doing face-to-face -face interviews, which as you know, is not online interviews. So this year, the 12th annual survey, we did nearly 4,000 interviews uh, across the main survey, uh, which was held in, in February and March of this year, just before the COVID impact. And then we did a COVID pulse survey in August before we brought the findings to the market on an on a online webinar on October the 6th. So we interviewed 4,000 young Arabs this year, 18 to 24 year olds, nationals only, across 17 Arab states in the Gulf, Levant and North Africa. And the sample was split 50-50, male, female. So that's some in background information about the survey. Well, it's a fascinating survey, and it really does fill a huge uh, data gap, which not only is fascinating within itself, but really gives us a, an idea about the future and talks about the young generation who are going to dominate the future of the region. I'd like to ask you, Sunil, the survey has gone to the very top of decision-making in government. In our region, uh, as you know, and the listeners know, His Highness, the ruler of Dubai, has frequently retweeted the results of the survey. We do know that people from Washington to Brussels to Beijing comment on it. What's the secret? What makes these top decision, lead, decision makers and leaders worldwide pay such attention to the survey and comment on it so enthusiastically? It's interesting that you, you ask this question because you know, these leader, most of the, of the leadership across the world never gave the survey much importance when we started the survey. It was a young product and you know it had to build its credibility over the years. So 2008, 2009, 2010, the first three years of the survey, we got middling response. You say, okay, another survey, you know, uh, and people would always kind of question its methodology or, or the findings and things like that. But something happened in 2011 that both of us know, and that is, the Arab Spring, when protests started, uh, you know, breaking out in all of the countries from Egypt to Tunisia to Libya to you know all of these various countries, uh, suddenly, and these were young Arabs on the streets, uh, demanding that you know that their voice is heard, and and, and that's when uh, the youth survey really our, our Arab youth survey really uh, caught the uh, attention of all these people, and I still remember way back in 2011, early 2011, we had an in-camera briefing for Arab diplomats in Washington, DC. It was before the public launch of the survey, a day before the public launch of the survey. 
and my colleagues in Washington, D.C., uh, 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 who, who did this briefing, had a room full of Arab diplomats who came with and, and wrote copious notes of what the survey is saying because they were reporting back to their governments. And that was, I mean, the Arab Spring really was uh, the breakout point for the survey because when you really look, Mazen, at eight, nine, and 10 results, you will see the Arab Spring happening because the top finding that we had is that young people wanted to live uh, in a democracy. They wanted their voice to be heard. And that's what the survey findings were saying. But probably a lot of people were not listening to it. And, and that's what has suddenly changed. And this year, as you know, our top finding uh, was that nearly 40% of young people in the Arab world want to emigrate. They want to migrate to foreign lands. That finding really surprised us. And, and we looked at it when we structured the questionnaire. We said, there is this movement of a lot of young people migrating to Europe, to US, to Canada, to Australia, and all of this. We said, let's find out what are these young people thinking? And there came the result. Nearly 40%, the wealth of the Arab world. When you say 40%, Mazen, you're talking of 80 million young Arabs who want to leave their country. Now, that is a red flag for all the governments, not only within the region, but across the world as well, because that's going to put pressure on the borders of Europe in the Mediterranean Sea, as we saw. But mm -hmm. we said, what is actually making these young people do this? And that's, I mean, very clearly, they're looking at struggling economies at home, frustrations at high levels of government corruption. You know, and those are the two reasons that that brought this finding to the fore. And young and, and Arab leaders from across the world commented about this, uh, and they linked it with nearly seventy-seven percent of the entire sample saying that they uh, uh, they are frustrated with government corruption in their country. And you know, uh, commenting on this particular finding is Haina Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, the UAE Vice President and the Prime Minister and ruler of Dubai, tweeted. If governments are corrupt, the country will be ruined. Its security diminished and its people will want to leave it. I mean, that is, is the exact quote of uh, a head of state. His Highness Sheikh Mohammed making that statement and that uh, made real impact across, uh, uh, across the world. I think that's one of the examples. I think a lot of other leaders actually talked about it across the region. Uh, and I think that that's why our our, uh, our survey findings are now seen with great amount of uh, uh, importance and people look forward to it. This year's findings clearly seem to have the same impact and echo as the 2011 Arab Spring findings. And you've talked about the staggering finding about migration and about 80 million young people wanting to leave the region. Uh, what among the other 10 key findings do you really feel our listeners should pay attention to and perhaps can visit on the ArabYouthSurvey.com website? I think uh, uh, there are a number of other findings that you can find uh, on our uh, website, ArabYouthSurvey.com. But I think I'd like to point out two, two findings other than the one that is the top finding, which is migration which is to do with jobs and personal debt. And these we define as what we call kitchen table issues. 
Uh, and we've seen uh, a, a rising pressure that young people are in debt. Uh, and there is a, a different color to debt. You know, the ones in the Levant and North Africa are more on student loans, while in the GCCs on local expenses, such as cars and other things. Uh, and the other one is uh, is on heightened pressure on jobs. As you know, Mazen, the Middle East region uh, is is has the highest youth unemployment in the world, nearly thirty percent. And those two those two issues were really concerning. This is something we have been tracking all through the twelve years, but they continue to remain the biggest problems, the biggest barriers uh, for the region to you know to come to uh, a, a new future. Uh, and I think besides that, uh, there are findings related to uh, how young people see religion uh, it, uh, to a majority of, 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 uh, of the uh, Arab world. Um, religion defines their personal identity, uh, but they also say that uh, religion plays too much of a role in society and they want religious institutions to reform in the region. So they are they are much in line with modern uh, trends. So those are a couple of other findings that we thought were very very interesting. That uh, you know your audiences should spend some time on and reading uh, reading those findings. They are absolutely fascinating. Some of the findings, I mean, are really breaking uh, conversation barriers and taboos. I mean, talking about identity and religion, gender rights. I'm sure you must have had from time to time pushback saying, you know, you shouldn't be talking about these issues, you know, gender rights, identity, religion, coming up with the findings such as religion playing, you know, a declining role in, in life, even though it remains the number one consideration. These are brave questions to be asking the young Arab um, citizens. Do you get any pushback or any sort of resistance uh, on these brave questions, which really are pushing the envelope? One of the things, uh, uh, Mazen, I must give credit to uh, is that we do this survey and we announce it and launch it in the United Arab Emirates in the UAE. And I think to a great extent, uh, I think it's a, a sign of, uh, uh, of the support uh, we get. We have, uh, we have always been encouraged by the UAE government to do this survey, uh, uh, though there, there is no financial consideration, but but the, they have encouraged us to be brave. I think if you want to do a thought leadership survey, it is very important that you need to bring some freshness and newness in the findings. And every single year, we have actually pushed the envelope to a great extent uh, uh, to go into what is called taboo subjects. It's not just religion and, uh, and anti-government protests and, and government corruptions that we looked into, but we also looked into issues such as uh, you know, the increasing uh, usage of drugs among Arab youth uh, mm. across the region, especially in, in, in the Levant and North, North, North Africa. We also dealt into the issue of uh, rising uh, uh, signs of mental illnesses in the region. I think these were two subjects that we brought up in last year's survey. And, and as you can see, those uh, findings, which were never discussed, never came in the public forum, are resulting in you know, government policy decisions to be able to look at these issues with a uh, greater amount of attention and greater amount of investments to be able to help these young people who have uh, issues regarding anxiety and other issues that 
actually affect the region. Nearly nearly 30% last year of young Arabs said that they know someone who has uh, uh, issues on mental health and we could see rising uh, uh, usage of, of drugs. And those are seriously societal issues that governments need to be able to look at. Sometimes these issues are swept under the carpet uh, and that uh, that is something that the survey has always done, which is to be brave and bring it back. And I think we wouldn't have been able to do this uh, without uh, a tacit support from the United Arab Emirates. And I must thank His Highness and the Prime Minister's office to have helped us. They've never interfered at all in our development of our questionnaire, in the subjects that we looked at, uh, uh, but they have always uh, supported us to, to bring this out uh, into the world. Because eventually it's all about, uh, uh, you know, people who do not know the region gain a better understanding of what this region is all about. And some of the findings are extremely positive, you know, which uh, I'm sure my colleague Dom Botkus, who's with me on this call, can shed some light on as well. Thank you, Sunil. Uh, moving to Dom, um, Dom, as a researcher myself, when I look at this report, it is a vast report. This must be a tough one to put together interviewing thousands of people face-to-face, -face, not online, across a wide spectrum of geographies and cultures, and asking tough questions. Tell us a bit more about how you keep this report going. It's in its 12th year. It's not easy putting this together, especially during 2020 when we faced COVID and doing a face-to-face -face interview would have been quite complex. We'd appreciate your view on that. Absolutely. Uh, you're, you're definitely correct that this is no easy task of a uh, project to take on. But what we have seen over the past 12 years, it has really become a passion project for both Sunil and the agency, the wider agency. And uh, we started the process months and months before the results are announced. Uh, we, we do a lot of meetings, uh, internal meetings, discussing what should be the new topics included in the survey. Uh, what should be, you know, the, the questions that we have been asking for years? Uh, do we need to add any new question, any old questions back into the survey? Uh, and then we really work with the team, both here, PSB team in, in Dubai and also our colleagues in London to make sure that we structure the questionnaire uh, very carefully, that we avoid any biases uh, in terms of how questions are asked or in what order they are asked. And then we also work quite closely with our uh, fieldwork teams. Uh, so people who are actually, because these are face-to-face -face interviews, uh, making sure that the people, the interviewers really understand the questions. Uh, and again, we avoid any kind of biases in, in responses or uh, the data that we're seeing. Uh, and as, as you mentioned, this year was definitely uh, a different year, uh, probably like no other year. Uh, so we did we did do things a bit differently this year, and we actually um, conducted our main survey as we usually do in early 2020 and early part of the year before COVID impacted the region fully. But then we saw that you know, as any poll, it's just a snapshot in time, uh, and as we're measuring perception of young people, uh, it's very clear that perceptions uh, and things, how people feel on the ground can change overnight, especially like when events like uh, a global pandemic happens. So what we ended up doing this year is uh, in August of this year, 
Uh, we went back into the field and to select six countries of two countries in GCC, two countries in uh, North Africa, and two countries in Levant, and spoke to, to young Arabs again. Uh, and we did this to both to measure the impact of COVID-19 on uh, how young people are feeling in their lives, uh, but also to make sure that our question or the topics that we had chosen for the public release are still relevant and top of mind uh, for young Arabs across the region. And what we saw from this COVID pulse survey uh, was fairly fascinating, uh, but also uh, not surprisingly, um, we saw that things were getting worse on some of the topics that we discussed in this year's survey. So for example, uh, a clear majority, 72% uh, of young Arabs said that COVID-19 has made it more difficult for them to find a job. Uh, about one third or so of young Arabs said that their household debt has increased because of the pandemic. And one in five young Arabs said that they personally or someone in their family have lost a job due to COVID-19. So not surprising that our COVID-19 policy uh, survey also showed that given these uh, developments that COVID-19 could lead to further political unrest, especially in countries like Lebanon. Uh, we also saw that, as Sunil mentioned, the, the, uh, one of the key findings this year was about immigration. We saw that COVID-19 has made actually a third of young Arabs even more likely to, to look to emigrate to another country. But uh, on a more positive note, we also saw that COVID-19 is accelerating uh, the way young Arabs embrace the digital transformation as more young people have obviously been streaming more video, shopping uh, online more frequently, and even using contact payments. We also saw uh, an interesting um, finding that uh, because of COVID-19, some, some governments are actually uh, improving in terms of how young people are seeing, perceiving their government. So we saw that young Saudis and uh, young Emiratis give really high marks to their governments for the way they have handled the pandemic. Meanwhile, in some countries like, for example, Lebanon, uh, they feel like their government has truly failed them, uh, not just, you know, in general, but also on uh, responding to, to the pandemic. So definitely uh, a big undertaking this year, even uh, even bigger project. Well, we, we definitely look forward to the upcoming edition next year, and hopefully it'll be in easier uh, circumstances. Dom, just out of curiosity, I mean, you're interviewing thousands of young people about highly emotive topics. When your team are interviewing them around the region, are these young people chatty? Are they reserved? The emotions which are being expressed in the data are really quite impactful. I'm curious, and I'm sure our listeners are too, as to what kind of feedback, emotional feedback, you're getting from these people. Are they opening up in full? Are they reserved? A mixture of the two? Absolutely. Uh, I think it, it quite varies. Uh, but what we have seen is that, it, and of course, there are different methods. Um, our interviewers are professionally trained. And so actually, uh, you know, we start off the story with some warm-up questions to make sure that people are feeling comfortable uh, responding to questions. So we start off with some demographic questions and some, some easier questions, and then we get, get into some of the, uh, let's say, more difficult topics. But what we have seen and what our fieldwork teams are telling us that, that a lot of people are actually very happy to give their take. It's actually feeling that their opinion 
uh, on a lot of different topics matter to someone, and we do want to share those uh, those opinions, especially you know on uh, some topics that uh, you and Sunil had uh, just discussed, like mental health or drug usage. Those are not the questions we get every day. Uh, and seeing from the data that, you know, if, if a question or a topic is uncomfortable, you'll usually see a lot of refusals or uh, people saying don't know, not giving an answer. And we're not seeing that. We're seeing, you know, 97% or so of people giving an answer in either direction. Uh, so we feel like uh, those questions are actually resonating quite strongly with young people. If I may add there as well, Dom, is that when we start the uh, the uh, the interviews where we uh, we meet these people, our professional interviews, meet these people in public places, we try and get them at ease. There are something like twenty-two screener questions, and the first thing we show them is that the the interview is confidential, uh, and then once they fit into the 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 actual demographic, that uh, for example, if you go to the UAE. We want to make sure that they are UAE nationals, you know. So we uh, all the sample are nationals only, Saudi, in any of the Gulf states. So you do, you have a very clean uh, national point of view. Uh, it's not mixed with any expats uh, uh, perspective on that. So those those help us uh, try and get uh, the real the real feeling on the street, and that's why uh, we we title uh, this year's report as the voice a voice for change, mm. uh, and that's where, as Dom said, people are. People feel there's almost a release that somebody is listening to them and they want to talk about this. So we're seeing a change uh, from before where young people want their voices to be heard. They want change. You know, they, they are going through tremendous amount of pressure. You know, this is sometimes uh, you're looking at this generation, Mazen, we call it the lost generation in some ways because they're losing out several opportunities. You know, some of these regions where, where we go to, they have been conflicts for over a decade, you know, and they have lost out on education, on new opportunities, on an ability to start a family, you know, uh, and that's where I think there's a, there's a big worry. Uh, but, but, you know, it, you're talking 18 to 24-year-olds. They are youthful, and we can see the, uh, the exuberance of youth come out there, where they, while, while they are worried about things and they want to emigrate, let's say, but they do really have a stronger national feeling as well, especially in the Gulf countries, and, and to a great extent in North, North Africa as well. But the Levantine sample, which, have, which is where the most conflict is, uh, it is a very, very troubled sample. Indeed. Um, another incredible finding has been the UAE continues to be a place where everybody wants to come and they want their governments to emulate. And that's been running for quite a few years now. Why do young Arabs make this choice, Sunil? Uh, you know, we introduced this question uh, way back in 2012. So it's been nine years since we've been asking this question. And we wanted to ask, you know, what do they see as a model nation? So we asked two specific questions. One is, where would you like to live? And where would you like, what, which country would you like your own country to emulate? These were the two questions. Uh, and in, in, the, in the 2020 survey, uh, nearly 46% selected the UAE as the, uh, uh, as the place that they want, uh, uh, th that young people want to live. But what is most striking is that we asked them to choose among 30 Western and Eastern nations. 
the best economies in the world. And that's why, uh, you know, a 46% UAE followed by US at 33%, Canada and UK at 27 and Germany at 22. Then you see a similar kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, numbers in, uh, uh, in, in also the country that they want, young people want to emulate. 52% of the young Arabs select UAE as the, as the model nation, followed by US, Germany, Canada, and this time Japan as the country that they want their own to, to, to see as a model nation. Uh, the question you asked is, why is that so? I think young people look at this as a, uh, you know, and as an aspirational thing. They see UAE as a country, despite being, uh, you know, living in a, in a tough neighborhood, being able to, uh, able to bring about, uh, you know, progress for uh, their citizens, to create an environment of enterprise, which also welcomes expatriates from all across the world to be able to do things that are progressive, that brings about uh, so much more uh, happiness for people here. And that's what people look at. So it's an aspirational statement uh, by when they say, do, we, uh, do they want to come and live in the UAE as, an, as in an immigration? That's not really what they're saying when they look at a model nation, because when you look at the top five reasons why the young Arabs choose the UAE, it's safety and security, 44%. Wide range of work opportunities, 39. Generous salary packages, 32. A growing economy, 31%. And a good place to raise a family, 25%. And therein lies the answer, Mazen, because these are what young people want. They want an opportunity to be able to do something with their lives, to be able to uh, contribute to, the, to a better world. And that's what this finding is all about. Thank you very much, Sunil. Uh, final question to you, Sunil. In terms of the lessons learned which PR professionals around the region and around the world can benefit from, how, how would you advise a PR pro in Dubai, in Cairo, in Washington to benefit from the survey and to take it as an example for how they can build reputation, dialogue and engagement through data and research? You know, first things first, Mazen, uh, uh, you deal in data as well, you know. Presenting data can be an extremely boring task unless you are able to present data in a meaningful form. So when, when PSB does the work, you know, PSB distinguishes itself because what they do what is called actionable research. So when we bring that data and we bring that knowledge into, uh, uh, into the launch of our survey each year, we, we put in a lot of effort to be able to make sure that it is presented in a digital first uh, approach. We bring in infographics, videos, a multimedia approach to how we bring those findings. Not only do we bring the data uh, and the findings, but we invite uh, experts from across the world who, are, who know the region to uh, write commentaries about what is this finding all about? And you can see that in the white paper that we that you will find on our website, arabyouthsurvey.com, uh, where you will find more meaning and context to those findings. So, you know, as as Dom said before, you know, if you if you if you don't have the passion to be able to do this, if you're not passionate about doing this, then don't waste your time. So it's most important is to you really put your heart, soul, and mind behind a thought leadership survey. And that's how you can build it and nurture it like we have done over the last 12 years. Without that passion, a product like this never happens. 
But the most important thing that communication professionals should look at is relevance. Is the thought leadership and the findings that you come out relevant to the audiences out there that you're trying to reach, whether they're governments, uh, private sector or civil society, whether they're international governments or governments in, in the region. And as we have seen in 12 years, Mazen, we have brought extremely relevant findings. We have always brought a fresh story. We brought new perspectives to the region. So the five things that I would think in terms of co-learnings for a thought leadership platform is identify a story that matters. You know, uh, In this case, it was a story of the Arab youth. This was a white space when we came into it in 2008 but we built it over a period of, of time. That story still resonates. When you do research, you know, you can do ordinary research, but you've got to be brave to be able to do that. You need to explore areas that people are afraid to go into. And that's why the drug abuse, the mental illness, uh, uh, the gender rights, the government corruption, the cover anti-government protests, we brought new subjects year on year and we kept it fresh and new. The third is about having a proper narrative, having a digital-first approach, publishing a white paper, putting that on a well-structured website so you know people can look at it. Developing media collateral, you know, uh, in terms of videos and infographics, getting interviews and opinion pieces out there in terms of commentaries. The fourth is to learn and share with openness. We live in an open world, and I think as communicators. We should be able to provide that to everyone. So, you know, we, we encourage people, including, you know, our peer group in the PR sector or communication of governments to actually use it. And we've seen increased usage. And then, of course, everything is about impact. Is that impact happening every year? Is there continuity? Are we tracking data across 12 years? What are we seeing in terms of changes? You know, the last 10 to 12 years have been historic for the Arab region. And when you and the 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 fund of information and data ha we have, you know, we have an extremely precious uh, IP asset that we can use even more. And 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 as I said, impact is what matters. And and this year, uh, Mazen, uh, I am pleasantly surprised and uh, to see that you know nearly fifty six nations covered our main story, our, our finding on migration and other findings in fourteen languages. And we have reached close to a billion people in less than one month. Uh, uh, and, and prominent media such as the Financial Times, the Times of London, CNN, CNBC, Bloomberg, Reuters, Washington Post, The Economics have covered the survey. And in fact, right now, we are being hosted by a number of uh, uh, international think tanks and titles. I mean, last week, I was invited to speak um, at the Washington DC title webinar uh, organized by The Hill, uh, where we talked of the findings and they brought a number of different uh, uh, young Arabs as well as young uh, Americans to join that webinar. Uh, we're doing one with the Council of Foreign Relations in the US. The Atlantic Council has invited us for a webinar in December. The Middle East Institute is doing another one. Uh, uh, and then of course, uh, the Chatham House who's host in London who have invited us for several years to run special uh, uh, conferences uh, and panel discussions for their members is, is inviting us again this year. So you see the impact has been unbelievable this year. That just shows that the region, the world is very hungry and, and uh, for more information about this region. Fantastic. Sunil, congratulations once again on a fantastic survey. 
which has been incredibly enlightening to people around the world. And I look forward very much to the upcoming one. My thanks to you and to Dom for your wonderful presentations today. And before we sign off, I'd like to invite members of the MEPRA community to book their virtual tickets for the Remap Creative Communications Festival on the 7th and 8th of December. And of course, to do the same for the 2020 MEPRA Awards. Go to our website and take part in these wonderful events. For now, I thank everybody for participating again, and I look forward to our upcoming podcast.